And he said, where's your fire? You're always just so calm. You're so calm at work. And I told him, and I purposely said it like almost at a whisper. I was like, where's my fire? It's smoldering. And then he was like super scared. (laughs) I was like, yes, don't do that again. I was like, we don't all have to be this kind of like almost overbearing personality to be effective. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. So it took me a while to figure this out. It took probably longer than it had to take, but... I realized eventually in my career that one of the most important things, sometimes more important than doing good work, although good work is really important, but often having relationships and being connected to the people around you and having those professional connections can be more impactful and can have a faster impact on your ability to be successful and advance in your career. It can be more impactful sometimes in the actual work that you do. Which is not to say we don't want to be doing good work. It's just to say that professional relationships are insanely valuable. And that's great. It's great to know. But if you're anything like me or like many people out there, that thought might not be super reassuring because the thought of building professional relationships might trigger some anxious or fearful thoughts like, I don't have any mentors. I don't have a professional network. How do I go about building that? Or it might make you think, well, What do I do if I'm not outgoing and it doesn't come naturally for me to go out and build those relationships? Or how do I do it in a way that doesn't feel icky? How do I not feel like a used car salesman being fake and going out and like networking and like throwing my business card up like confetti to everyone around me? Like how do I just do it naturally and feel good? And if you have any of those kinds of thoughts around finding mentors or building out your professional network... They usually feel a lot heavier and scarier and more real than they actually are. I think sometimes we tell ourselves that it needs to be hard and scary and painful, and it doesn't always need to be that way. And today's conversation is all about not just sharing some of the steps and the insights to think about when you're building out your professional network and trying to find mentorships and build those relationships, but also to help you with some of the mindset stuff and some of the anxieties and fears that can get in the way. And today's guest, Asari, shares a little bit about her career journey and her process of building professional relationships and finding mentors and just in general being very successful in her career as someone who doesn't identify as being super, super outgoing or super, super loud. And she talks about how she's been able to achieve these goals professionally and build professional relationships without having to sacrifice being herself, which if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that authenticity is something that's been super important for me and is something that I think is super important for us to truly empower ourselves. We have to be able to do things in a way that feels good and a way that feels natural. 
And Asari talks all about this and about how she's moved through her career, staying very true to who she is. And it was very inspirational for me. And I hope that it will be for you, too. She covers how to approach networking if you're an introvert. We talk about perfectionism. We hit on the challenges of being female in the workplace. And she also gives some really helpful advice to a listener who is struggling with a difficult manager. Asari made me laugh a lot. She has a very playful sense of humor, a very playful, subtle sense of humor. So I really enjoyed talking with her, and she made some of these topics feel a lot lighter and easier. And so my hope for you is that you will also feel lighter and easier if you struggle with any of the topics that we talk about. And with that, let's meet Asari. Hello, my name is Asari Aniogolu. I'm assistant general counsel for a big major defense contractor. How did I get there? Through a lot of luck and grace and hard work. When I was in high school and even prior to that, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. So for me, high school was just a mean sin and I had fun, but I was just like, okay, guys, can this hurry up? In college, I took a lot of political science courses since I knew I was going to law school. I went straight through, straight to Columbia. And I think I enjoyed law school as much as you can, even though it's very different than undergrad. Due to my classes and my courses, I was trained as a litigator. I started litigating in New York, so probably one of the toughest markets that you could litigate in. And I did that for almost six years, moved to D.C., started doing Still litigation, but also with a focus on white-collar defense and government agency work. And to many people's surprise, I was going to be up for counsel sooner rather than later, uh, which is one step before partner at a number of law firms. And I decided to go in-house. So it was quite a different change, some would say, but it's, it's been very rewarding. One thing that we talk a lot about on this show is personal and professional growth and development. So lately, I've been asking guests to share with listeners where they're currently trying to grow or shift professionally. I think I'm trying to be more open to failure professionally. I don't know if my boss would be happy to hear that. But um, what I mean by that is that more open to trying something new because often you get you actually find a solution as opposed to failing and sometimes when you think you might have failed in one way you find a solution in another so I'm really trying to be more open to some of that kind of discomfort taking stretch assignments really seeing what I'm I guess what I'm made of sometimes it's not always in your wheelhouse and that's okay because then you realize actually I don't have one wheelhouse. I own all the stables. I'm great at a lot of things. So that's really what I'm trying to push myself to do every day is to be more open to things not going the way that I plan them to. I love that. And I think that will really resonate with people who are listening. And going back to your earlier career when you were just getting started, if I had asked you that very same question about what are you working on? Where are you trying to go? Do you think you would have said the same thing? Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. I mean, I've been a perfectionist probably my whole life. And 
was always praised for being a perfectionist. So I thought that was really was a great thing, not realizing that sometimes it can be inhibiting and stifling to always be seeking perfection, even though we're imperfect as people and we live in an imperfect world. Um, So when I was younger, I definitely would have just said, oh, I'm trying to be the best lawyer I can be, do the best work I can for all my clients, which that continues, of course. But I think to be the best attorney, doctor, teacher, uh, whatever your profession might be, you do have to be open to sometimes it not going according to plan. And then you see your own resilience and you see how you shift because that's always helping you become more confident in yourself by realizing like, you know what? I can adjust. I can shift. I will always be okay because I find a way to adapt. It can be counterintuitive in a way, but I deeply relate to that. And sometimes you you feel the urge to tighten your grip on things. That's like the perfectionism. And it's in the like the loosening <laughs> and the opening where it's scary because you feel like if you let go, it might fall. But then, like you're saying, that's where a lot of the growth happens. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I I think there's even some kind of maybe it's parable or maxim, but when you're like trying to hold water, you don't hold it too tightly or actually literally slips through your fingers. But if you just sort of cup it, you can hold even more. I think every day I'm trying to remember that at work in my relationship with my boyfriend, which he probably is like, yes, (laughs) loosen the reins a little bit. (laughs) Um, But yes, I, I do think that it's something that especially if you're an ambitious person, you want to manage everything. You want to be in control of everything. But sometimes the most beautiful aspects of work or your career overall are the things that were out of your control. That resonates very deeply with where I am, and I think it will with other people as well. And I wanted to hear a little bit more from you about what your law school experience was like leading into your career. You've mentioned that you know, when getting started in your career, you kind of had a feeling of being out on your own. And I would love to hear more about how you experienced that and and how that evolved over time. Um, So law school for me, it felt like a little bit of a pinnacle. It had been the thing I'd always been looking forward to. It was so nice to be around people who were interested in the same nerdy topics as I was. But admittedly, I felt less prepared than I thought I was going to. I was younger than most of the people in my class. Not like I was a prodigy or anything. It's just my birthday's in the summer. Um, <laughs> and I and I was coming from, like I'm from the Midwest originally, and my parents are immigrants here, both from very good backgrounds, but they've never practiced law in the United States. So I didn't really have that same kind of background that I feel like a lot of my classmates did. And then New York is its its own literally concrete jungle sometimes. So there's so many law firms there, so many different legal departments. And sometimes you feel a little bit lost if you don't really know how to navigate it. So I think at first I was, I felt out of my depth, not intellectually per se, but more stepping into a new uh, microcosm. 
And I think the biggest thing that I did was just ask questions and be open to people saying, oh, no, that's not the way to say that firm's name. Or based on your interests, it actually seems like you like this as opposed to what you are considering. So I think all of that was helpful. And during the time in law school is also a difficult time personally. At that time, my grandmother was very, very sick. And we found out while I was in law school that she was actually dying. So it was very hard on my mother because my grandmother was her mother and my mother's family, which also meant my mother, who I'm very close to, couldn't be as much of a support for me emotionally during that time. So while you're sitting there in a new city, the Big Apple, sometimes not getting the same grades that you were used to getting in undergrad and then having a lot of difficult things going on personally. Um, It was a lot to handle and I often felt alone, but it helped me again to remember that, okay, this might not be going according to plan, but you're resilient. You find a way. And then often that way is better than you think it would be. Uh, There was a time that I thought I was going to be practicing back in Ohio. And that would have also been a great life, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything that's happened thus far. Litigating in New York is exhilarating. (laughs) I worked on cases that literally I never thought I'd be able to be involved in. And this is just in a a relatively short career for a lawyer thus far, but um, I don't have any regrets about the different turns and twists that my career has taken thus far. And I want to hear a little bit more. You mentioned earlier about how in the process of feeling like you were out on your own or trying to figure things out, people would like come in and help you and you'd get directions. And I think for me, a a big, huge light bulb in my career was understanding the value of relationships and really like deeply understanding what that means for someone's career. And I would love to hear if you had a similar realization or what your journey has been like in terms of not just mentorships, but professional relationships and the role that that plays. Oh, I agree completely. Relationships. I mean, they say that when you're in school, but you really feel how important relationships are when you're in the working world. At the the law firm, I did have mentors and I have mentors now in-house too. And what I've liked, but again, it's been a bit of a stretch. Sometimes it has felt uncomfortable, is that most of my mentors don't actually look like me. So yes, that might mean that you need more diversity in the legal field, women, people of color, et cetera. But I think that also means that sometimes having a mentor who doesn't have those automatic connections with you or seeming seems to not have those automatic connections with you can actually help you see things from a different perspective. Sometimes help your mentor see things from different uh, from a different perspective as well. So I had really great mentors when I was at the law firm and still do, but I also realized that so many different people can be mentors for you in different aspects. So it's not always like your immediate boss or someone who's more senior to you in the company or at the firm. I mean, sometimes it's been my peers. Sometimes it's been people junior to me. One, I guess she was actually my mentee at the firm, but we ended up becoming 
good friends. And she was that person who really tried to embody this idea of perfection is never perfection, right? So if that's what you're seeking, you'll always lose because nothing will ever be perfect. And she was junior to me at the firm. So a lot of people might be surprised by that. I've worked with some administrative assistants who just have a very good outlook on life. And I think that's helpful as well. Just having, being open to the different things you can learn from different people. So it really is about relationships and you can make them with anybody and they can help you and you can help them. And it's sort of this like continuous cycle. I think it's so freeing. And I really would want to highlight for people that having a mentor is not about this one perfect, singular, magical person who does everything for you. I think a lot of times that's the story we get, which is like, you're going to find your mentor and they're going to be like your fairy godmother and everything's going to be amazing. And that's a lot of pressure because it's like, okay, I now need to go out and find that person. And what if I don't find that person? You know, (laughs) is my career doomed in the piece that you shared about finding value? I think not only does that take some of the pressure off, it also gives space for things to develop organically because sometimes the strongest relationships are the ones that kind of grow on their own without a lot of forcing on our parts. I agree. I think I was reading something that they said, wherever you are professionally, you should have a mentor, a sponsor, And you should have sort of like a sounding board. So your sounding board could be somebody who's maybe your peer. Obviously, you commiserate with them. Sometimes they give you a reality check, like it's not that serious. Calm down. It's going to be okay. And then you have your mentor who you go to for different issues or solutions or sometimes to celebrate your wins when you have them. And then you have a sponsor. It was very enlightening for me to see that separation between a mentor and a sponsor, because that also takes the pressure off of your mentor, right? They're here counseling you through things, and you expect them to maybe champion you too. Sometimes you can find it in one person, but if you don't, that's okay. And according to this model, they even suggest that you have them as separate folks, because your sponsor can really just champion all the good things about you if it's for upward promotion or a raise or anything like that, without having to know all some of the maybe more neurotic side, maybe not know all of your um, (laughs) less than shining moments, the way that a mentor might. So I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting. And it's something that I, I try to keep in mind at each stage of my career is finding that sponsor, finding that mentor, finding that sounding board. And sometimes hopefully being that for someone else too. Do you have any advice or any thoughts on finding both mentors and sponsors and sounding boards for people who don't see themselves as naturally being extroverts? Because I know that that is probably something that a lot of people are thinking. Oh, no, I understand that because my natural personality is introverted. When I was younger, I I was that person who like, people thought was shy, but I wasn't shy. I just didn't feel like talking to them. (laughs) It was more fun being in my own head and reading a book. And sometimes I would, as a kid, I grew up, I guess, half of my childhood as an only child. So I would go on like exploration trips into our backyard. 
And Dora the Explorer wasn't a thing then yet. So everyone was just like, oh, she's so quiet. And I was like, no, I just am having more fun over here by myself. Um, So I think first it's for people to remember that being introverted is not the same as being shy. And it's just really where you find your energy, right? So if you go out to a networking event and then afterward you sort of need to collect yourself a bit, that's fine. Do that. That's your personality. I think for me, being a litigator, I sort of had to show more of those extroverted tendencies to be effective. Like, okay, you walk into a room and you're trying to network. Sometimes I will say, okay, I'm going to speak to three people and have real meaningful conversations with them rather than like, I'm working the room. Cause I just now, and now that just sounds like, it actually sounds like a chore. It's like, (laughs) this is supposed to be networking. Now you're seeing it's work. Goodness. And then having those deep, meaningful conversations with them because someone else who has a different style, maybe more extroverted might get 20 business cards or something. And that works for them. That's fine. For me, though, it's it's proved more valuable to have those three, four, five in-depth conversations with someone because they actually get to know you, remember you. They're much more likely to reach out to you or or respond when you reach out to them. And it, it, it works for like a little perfectionist like myself because then I speak to three people. I feel like I check it off my to-do list. I feel super accomplished. But of course, that's just the, the start. But with, say, those three connections, two of the people get back to you. Now you can have one-on-one coffee. And again, for someone who's more introverted, that might feel a bit more comfortable because you're, you're building these one-on-one relationships as opposed to having to perform to a crowd of many. So that's worked for me. That's normally um, how I do it. But I also feel like the second you take that pressure off of yourself of saying like, oh, I'm not very extroverted and realize that being introverted, you could either just see it as like another data point. That's your personality. Or you can actually see it as something that's valuable, right? Because there are a lot of other introverted people out there too. And they probably will like that uh, your style is a bit calmer, a bit more paced and might gravitate towards that. I think that's so helpful. And yeah, like those networking situations where you're in a room with a bunch of people and there's like a random cheese plate and and, like you have like a name tag. Uh, For me, those used to be extremely painful. I hated it so much. And I also realized I'm getting so in my head and I'm making this about me and I'm so worried about myself and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, what if I just want to get to know someone? What if I like make this more about being curious about other people and learning what they do? And it's like, I don't have to like emerge with some, like you said, like 20 business cards, just like go in and ask a few questions and challenge myself a little bit. And then like you said, check the box off and get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and again, sometimes it's a great room. Like you meet amazing people and you're so happy that you went. And and then sometimes you don't. And that's okay. I, I mean, I think, again, it's people, and I want to say women especially, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves all the time. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's like, okay, you meet them, you connect with them, or you don't, that's okay. Things often circle back. So I've noticed that people that I've met at, I don't know, a networking event or 
award ceremony or reception for, for something in the legal field. Okay, maybe we didn't get to talk that day, but it's a small community and you often run into folks again or you know someone who knows somebody. And there's often another chance. So even if it's not at another networking event, you can email them. You can have a, a chat on the phone. There's often another chance. So it's no need to like make those situations and that annoying cheese plate even more pressurized. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hate on the cheese plate, but <laughs> it's always it's always a cheese plate though, especially for people like me who are like lactose sensitive. I'm like, come on, guys. And it's always slightly mediocre cheese. It's never really good cheese. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's like they they didn't even invest that much into it. They're just like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You're not missing out from one cheese lover to a person who doesn't eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, so relationships are really important. Oh, no, I feel really behind. I haven't been building relationships. I don't know how. I'm the youngest and kind of having all of these thoughts of like, oh, like, what do I do next? Can you share some tactical tips or maybe a couple pieces of advice for someone who's like, all right, let me let me see if I can get started on this journey of strengthening my professional connections? Of course. I mean, and this is going to be a theme, but it really first matters your mindset. So don't reprimand or admonish yourself saying, oh, I don't have these connections. You probably have more already than you think. If you even talk to one person at work, you have a connection or a relationship. But I, uh, again, I sort of intellectualize a lot of things. So when I, just as an example, first got to the firm, I felt, I guess, was still having that feeling of sort of loneliness or doing this on my own. So I sometimes would just like read the articles that they would always put out because they're always advertising themselves to get more more clients. And as I would see who's featured in the article, who wrote the article. And sometimes it's just like a quick email. Certain people might not write you back, which is fine because why do you want to talk to somebody who doesn't want to talk to you? But then other people will, and they're happy to talk to you about things that they're excited about. And they are obviously invested because they wrote this article about it. And once you get people talking, I mean, most of the time they'll just carry a lot of that conversation. And right there, you already have a connection. And so many people who have worked often like who are, who are more senior than you really do want to reach out to people that they work with or people who are also gaining experience in their company or their field. They just don't know if someone's open to their advice. So I think it's one of those things that once you show that you're open to advice or any kind of feedback or comments or relationship building, the people who are also open to that, they show themselves very quickly. So it's really just like changing your mindset and then opening yourself up to those opportunities to build those relationships. Yeah. Once you actually open your mind, you start to see it everywhere where you weren't seeing it before. And so I think that that's really important is just to stay open and thinking about like being an introvert and disliking small talk and all of that kind of stuff. Like that is true. But what if like one in 20 people that you have small talk with turns out to be someone who you really connect with and you're so thankful right. and you can, you can only get to that 20th person by having been open to the first 19 people. And so it's, you know, it can be painful sometimes. Like, I understand that. But it 
it can get easier and it's so worth it when you finally find someone who understands you and you feel seen by them and they're there to help you. There's, there's nothing better than that. I agree. I agree. And also like sometimes the talk doesn't have to be so small, right? I think a lot of times we think that they have to be this slightly asinine or artificial uh, conversations, but really when you're speaking to other professionals, you're going to get into maybe not the deepest topics of life and death, hopefully not in your first conversation, <laughs> but you, you are going to, you're going to find out a lot about them. You're going to find out about some of their very personal motivations about why they decided to do something in their, in their work or why they're doing something currently. And I think that's not small talk. That's really getting to know people on a very deep level that sometimes might be, might be, more interesting to people if they think about it in that way. Because in my mind, and maybe this is my own, my own mental block, but in my mind, we think small talk. I'm like, okay, the weather, I'm going to like ask you about maybe where you went to school, but not really ask you about your major and why you decided to do that. But if you maybe ask that second question, that follow-up question that's a little deeper, it gets very big, very quickly. That talk goes from small to big. Oh, I agree with that fully. And I think another dance, too, that we find ourselves doing, and I have a hypothesis that especially for women, this happens a lot, is like, how much of my true self can I show? And of course, my answer is show as much as possible. But I I would also be curious to hear your perspective, because the legal field can be more traditional than I'm in the business world, which is different. But it it can be tricky to just feel like you can be who you are. And it sounds so simple, but that was a whole journey for me. And I know it's a journey that a lot of people are on. Yes. And you're right. The legal field can be a bit more conservative, but I think, and I've had to learn this, you might as well show your authentic self because it's going to come out anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the truth. So I, I, I say show as much as you want to show at the pace you want to show it in. Mm. So I know it takes me a little while to feel fully comfortable with someone, except for you, because I feel like we chat very freely. Mm. (laughs) It's the magic of the podcast. (laughs) But do it in the pace where you feel comfortable, because that's also part of who you are, right? Some people open up very quickly, and that's good for them to do that, because that's part of who who they are. Someone like me, it's better to open up at the pace you're going to. Because if you, if I feel rushed, I'll just clam up completely and you'll never learn anything about me again. Yes, a law firm might be different than a company. And I'm actually sort of adapting to that difference now since I work in-house at a company. I think in the law firm, it's just because often people are, are very stressed, especially when you're a litigator. People <laughs> only come to you once they're stressed. Like everything oh went wrong. Now we're suing each other. Let me go find my litigator. So it's like all you deal with are problems. Hopefully you can find solutions, but people are pretty entrenched at that point. So I think it's just, it's a different atmosphere. Yes. But you can bring your authentic self in different ways to who you feel comfortable with. The the joke in my office now is that I don't have any like personal pictures up of my family or my boyfriend or anything like that. And I I made a joke back that, well, what I'll do is just buy the picture frames and leave the stock photos in them so you guys can feel better. 
And they were like, no, we don't want you to do that. I was like, exactly. So don't worry with time, with time. <laughs> but I think it it is a challenge. It is, um, especially for women or younger people or people who might feel like whatever their family situation might be different than the traditional model. But I have one friend and he actually is a gay man. And he was very concerned at first working at the law firm and sort of showing that side of himself. Hmm. And he's like, do I have, do I have to like tell people that I'm gay? Do I have to come out? And I told him that I'm probably the wrong person to give advice to about this because I don't think you ever have to tell anybody anything. Again, you do what feels comfortable to you. But I also told him that like, as a straight person, I've never had to come out. I just talk about things in my day-to-day life. So if you feel more comfortable, just like while you're talking about your weekend plans, you say that like, oh, I'm going with my boyfriend or And then that person sees that you're a man and you said, boyfriend, I don't think they need the whole conversation. If they're at a law firm, they should be smart. They can put those two together. And if they act uncomfortable about it, that's also good information for you to know. That's not a person that I need to continue opening up to and sharing that, I guess, more vulnerable part of myself to. And that's fine. That actually saves you time. Who wants to deal with that? So I, I think I think for for me it's more of a process. But again, I think that's okay. It doesn't have to be pressurized. I also have to be more open to the people who it's not a process for. They're just automatically open. Because sometimes <laughs> that's a lot for me. I'm like, whoo! I just know yeah. everything about you, and we've been chatting for thirty minutes. Goodness, <laughs> but that should actually make me feel like that's a compliment, right? That they feel that it's okay to do that with me. So I I do think that a lot of times, especially as women, we need to give ourselves that room to just be the way we are. If you're a bit more observant before you open up, just be that way. That's okay. If you're not, then don't be. And we also have to be open to other people, especially other women being the way that they are. I think that that's really, really beautiful. And it also really closely aligns with the philosophy for this show because I do think sometimes when women get professional advice, it looks a lot kind of like forcing or saying Mm -hmm. like you've got to do, act, and be this way. And if you're someone who is sort of like we are where we take time to open up and things unfold over time, then I think that advice can actually leave people feeling kind of not good. And it can be a little disorienting because it's too big. And this idea of unfolding and just allowing your like accepting where you are and and staying open to letting more of yourself show, I think is so important. And I kind of, I think we can almost extend that same idea of connecting and showing your personality to the idea of having confidence and presence and kind of just a really strong presence in the workplace because it doesn't have to look the same. Like confidence can look one way on one person and another way on another person. I think so. I think so. And I think, again, as women, we sometimes forget our own power. And hopefully this might be changing with like, you know, our lovely millennials, which I admit I'm, I'm one of. And um, I think 
the generation after us is that Gen X. Why? I don't know. The folks who are after millennials, <laughs> because everyone's constantly focused on millennials. Um, yeah. But I think it's changing slightly. But sometimes the professional model is often, like you said, confidence is a cookie cutter confidence. It looks like a power suit with those disgusting shoulder pads. And, <laughs> and of course, the power suit is all black. And it's a pantsuit and all these different things. And I just use the aesthetic aspects of it to illustrate how cookie cutter it is, but often how much that could cut out a lot of people. I hate pantsuits. I'll be honest with you. I'm in that like tall, but not tall enough kind of height. I'm five eight, So it's like, it's always too long. Definitely always too short. So I just, I stick to skirt suits. Does that make me someone who's less authoritative? It shouldn't. So I think, especially as women, we need to sometimes have our own models. And it's not so much about how you, what you wear, or how you present, but it's really like what energy and presence do you bring into a room? And sometimes that's quiet. Sometimes that's calm. As a lawyer, I had to realize that it's okay not to be that fiery litigator that you always see on the television. That fiery litigator might win the case that is going to be on the next Law and Order episode, but that might not be the same person that can go and advocate in front of a appellate Supreme Court. So we all flourish in our different lanes and we have different strengths and that's all right. And there's also like, there's, there's a, there's a beauty in being a woman. There's certain things that we can do that maybe guys can't, not all guys can stereotypically do as easily. And I use that to my advantage. I'll be honest with you. Like when I was in white collar defense, the things that people would like admit to me just because they felt more comfortable. And one man even told me, you remind me of my wife. Yes, slightly sexist. Okay, you're right. I think he probably wanted to rewind it back a little bit when in the next like 10 minute conversation, I got him to admit something that he probably shouldn't have on the record. <laughs> but I was like, I wonder if that reminded you of your wife too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but there's a, there's a power and beauty in being a woman, however that is. If you're stereotypically more feminine, or stereotypically less feminine, that's fine. There's just a beauty in all of that because there's things that we can do. I mean, we can do everything guys can do, right? But we also have like a special power too. When you meet a powerful woman who just sits comfortably in her own skin, it's always inspirational. It always is amazing. No matter what she's saying, you just always leave that conversation refreshed. I feel like you're inside my brain right now. <laughs> I, I fully agree with that. And I think a lot of the professional worlds that we're in, they are so used to and the professional world is so used to a male archetype of what a leader is. And so we just like we don't have it yet standardized in our language and how we see the world professionally of what power from the female side of things look like. And so I just so deeply relate to everything you just said. Yeah, I think that's so true. 
I think that, and that's the word I was looking for, archetype. Thank you. (laughs) But I agree. And especially in business or law or things that people consider to be, I don't know, I guess the harder quote unquote professions to go into, that's always the model. I remember one partner even told me, he said, like, I think I was like a first year or second year. And he said, where's your fire? You're always just so calm. You're so calm at work. And I told him, and I purposely said it, like almost at a whisper. I was like, where's my fire? It's smoldering. And then he was like super scared. And I was like, yes, don't do that again. I was like, we don't all have to be this kind of like almost overbearing personality to be effective. (laughs) That is the most amazing thing I've heard someone (laughs) say on this show. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, of course. I love that. And I feel like that is the perfect turning point for the listener question. Sure. So if you're ready, I'll go ahead and ask you the question and then give you the floor. Okay. So the listener asks, how do you recommend mentally dealing with someone who always finds flaws or something wrong with everything you touch in your job? I try to tell myself not to take it personally. This is just how the person is but I still find myself getting angry and questioning myself and my work. I'll even get stuck on a piece of work just anticipating the negative feedback, even though I know this is a waste of my energy. Please help me out. Sincerely, can't take it anymore. Okay, yeah, so hi, can't take it anymore. It's okay. You will pull through. Yes, a lot of the issues you're you're suffering it's because that person doesn't know either how to give feedback or doesn't really know what they want from you. So that's a lot of issues that I think you said he is going to have to deal with. But because especially early on in my career, I did have to deal with a particular partner who everything was always wrong. Even when you did exactly what she said, it was definitely going to be wrong because you did it. I think the biggest thing that you can do is sometimes, and I, and I had to, I had to say this to her. I like set a calendar invite, like to set up a meeting to chat with her. Of course she was like, what do you need to discuss? I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, what I want to discuss is how I can make your life easier. And of course that just completely threw her off. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, often when I do an assignment for you, it's not exactly what you want. And I want to give you what you want at the first go round, right? So it makes your life easier. You get what you want. And I also told her, I like gave her an example of like the last assignment. And I was like, what would you have preferred me to do? I mean, she didn't have much to say again, because it's her particular issue with how she deals with cases and giving feedback and all of that. And she had a plethora of other issues. Trust me. It's just too much for a podcast. But I think the biggest thing that that sort of forced her to have to concretize what her issues were. And if that person can honestly tell you, yes, I would have preferred it. I don't know, a day in advance so I could review it. Well, that, that helps you, right? Cause that gives you actual concrete things that you can work on and implement. And then that now, you know, that will make them happier with your work. But if they can't give those kind of concrete 
tips or explain their pet peeves in a real way, then I think for you, that's almost a, a certain surefire proof that it's their issue. And if it's that latter scenario where they can't really give you any tips, then you just have to turn to yourself and figure out either, can I continue working with this person? Because you never have to work with anybody, right? Sounds bad, but quitting is always an option. Sometimes not, maybe not the smartest option for you at that moment, but it is always an option. And sometimes remembering that reminds you of your own power. Like you don't have to stay in a situation. Um, If quitting is not an option or finding another supervisor, then sometimes there's ways for you to almost cope with it until they work out their issue. Humor helps sometimes as well. Finding a common enemy that's not like another one of your coworkers, like you, of course you don't want to just shift blame, but if it's something that it's like, Oh, can you believe Mondays? And then you guys both commiserate about Mondays and now Mondays are the issue, what you really hate. And I I mean, and it sounds silly, but if that's something that makes your working life more tolerable, I say implement it as soon as possible. Now I'm going to get into the closing questions, which is my favorite part that I ask everyone. The first question is about the title of the show, which is The Art of Speaking Up. So I like to ask every guest what that means to them and why they think it's important. Um, The art of speaking up is truly an art. There is no formula. There is no way that you can just pop something into the toaster oven and it comes out baked through and through. It is an art. There's different ways to speak up in in different situations. And I think the biggest thing, because it's an art, means that we're all artists. So we all find the way that we speak up that resonates with us and helps us achieve our goals in that particular situation. I love that. And now for the final question, some context is I started this show because when I was starting my career, things were really tough. I didn't have mentors like we're talking about today. And I created this show to support anyone who might be in a similar space or just to empower women to go after whatever they want professionally. And so I like to give you the floor to share whatever you might want listeners to know about their careers. Sure. Um, So I think the main thing I'd want the listeners to remember uh, that your career is yours. You shape it every day and you do things intentionally, but leave a little room for some luck and some grace because that sometimes that pushes you to the next level. And remember it's, it's lifelong. So even if you don't stay in the same particular job forever or career forever, You are your career. You're really shaping your own life. You're shaping how the world sees you and how you see the world. And always remember that it's yours. Like you have the power to do with it what you want. Thank you so much, Asari. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's really been great chatting with you. Thank you for listening. I loved talking with Asari. She was just so deeply perceptive about some of these struggles that we face and these difficult things that we encounter. And I felt very refreshed by some of the ideas that she shared. She talked about things in ways that I hadn't thought of before. And it was really expansive for me. And I hope that it was for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is always 
So great to have you listening. And if you are having any kind of struggle at work or you just have questions that you would love to hear the guests answer, please reach out to me. It is so much fun to hear from you. It puts such a big smile on my face. So don't be shy. I'm nice. I promise. And send me your questions or just come say hi on Instagram. My handle is at the art of speaking up and I pledge to post more often on there and post helpful, funny little things for you to enjoy. So again, thanks for tuning in. It is always so, so, so great to be able to chat with you and I'll catch you next week. Bye.